You're listening to ReachMD, and this is Lipid Illumination, sponsored by the National Lipid Association. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown. Today we're broadcasting from the annual meeting of the National Lipid Association in Orlando, Florida. My guest today is Dr. Kevin Mackey. Dr. Mackey is founder and chief science officer for the Midwest Center of Metabolic and Cardiovascular Research and adjunct faculty in biostatistics and applied epidemiology at DePaul University in Chicago. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today on Lipid Luminations. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So the reason we're excited to talk to Dr. Mackey is that, especially in light of the new ACCHA guidelines emphasizing moderate and high-dose statins, the National Lipid Association simultaneously, and I think it's just serendipity, completed a document on statin safety. The discussion of safety of statins, of course, has been elevated by the recommendations that were recently released on using moderate to high-dose statins in patients. So, Dr. Mackey, your interest is in the risk of diabetes. I think this is something that all clinicians have been worried about, and there's a lot of misinformation about the risk of diabetes. I was happy to see the document, and I wonder if you could fill us in on what your findings were regarding the risk of diabetes and the use of statins. Sure. I was part of a panel that reviewed the evidence looking at the relationship between statin use and risk of new onset diabetes as well as worsening glycemia in people who have diabetes while taking a statin. And I think our headline conclusion is that there is some increase in risk of developing diabetes with statin use. It mostly occurs in people with risk factors for diabetes, but that risk is far outweighed by the benefits of statin therapy. So for each excess case of diabetes, you get far fewer cardiovascular events, anywhere between three and seven fewer cardiovascular events for every excess case of diabetes. And so our only change in recommendation is that when possible, people should be screened for diabetes if they have risk factors before starting a statin, and then ideally within one year of initiating statin therapy. One of the endocrinologists that I work with brought up an interesting point that in studies where you're trying to assess risk of diabetes or reduction in risk of diabetes with a medication, you have to know up front whether or not the patients have diabetes and she said you have to actually test them for diabetes by doing a glucose tolerance or some other thing but the fasting glucose is going to miss a lot of diabetics so do you think that might have been a confounder in the literature that some of those patients may have actually had diabetes and were missed and in the trials that you reviewed how accurately did they look at the risk of possibly having diabetes prior to treatment? There were definite limitations because the trials weren't designed to look for risk of diabetes and so some of the elements that would have been present had they been designed to do that were not present but I think there is a consistent relationship it's modest so we're talking about a 10 to 12 percent increase in diabetes risk and then with high-intensity statin therapy compared with lower-intensity statin therapy, there's some additional risk, again, in the neighborhood of 10 to 12% additional risk. But having said that, because we have now over 20 prospective studies where this relationship, on average, shows up, I think it's probably real. But again, it's a modest increase in risk, and it's notable that it took 25 years to uncover this increase in risk. And if it were a large increase, it probably would have been observed and documented much before 2008. So from a clinical standpoint, you know, the things we like to know are, okay, you know, what types of patients do I have to worry about? And once I know what type of patient is at risk to get diabetes from a statin, how many patients like that would I have to treat to see one additional 
diabetic? Most of the increased risk seems to be in people with risk factors, and so the main risk factors for diabetes are pre-diabetes, so an elevated fasting glucose or an elevated HbA1c level in the range of 5.7 to 6.4, or for fasting glucose, 100 to 125. And so for those patients, the increase in risk seems to be about 24%. So the types of folks who ideally would be screened before starting a statin would be those with metabolic syndrome, those with prediabetes, those with overweight or obesity as the main risk factors for developing type 2 diabetes. And the recommendations from the American Diabetes Association say that if a person has a normal value, they should be screened within roughly three years if they're overweight or obese. And we recommend that once a statin is started, rescreening within one year and then subsequently rescreening every three years or so is reasonable. Or if the patient is 45 years of age or older, uh, rescreening every three years is reasonable. So as an epidemiologist and statistician, 24% sounds huge to someone. Sort of have to know what's the absolute risk of diabetes and then raising that risk by 24%. I like number needed to treat. So if you have someone with prediabetes, elevated A1C or fasting glucose over 100, and, and you're worried about it, how many of those will actually develop diabetes if you put them on a statin? How many do you have to treat to see one extra diabetic? Well, again, it depends on the baseline risk. So as an example, if you look at the studies in which patients were selected for other reasons and didn't have risk factors for diabetes, what you're seeing is roughly a 10% increase in risk. You're probably going to have to treat something in the neighborhood of several hundred patients in order to see one excess case of diabetes. When you look at those people who have diabetes risk factors, then you start to see more excess cases of diabetes, and now you're talking about something in the neighborhood of 50 to 125 patients that need to be treated for a year to see one excess case of diabetes. But I'll point out that you're going to be reducing the number of cardiovascular events by at least three for every excess case of diabetes that's observed. And of course, we should keep in mind that because these are generally people who have risk factors for diabetes, they may have developed diabetes anyway if given enough time. And so perhaps the onset is accelerated a bit, but it's likely not accelerated by an extreme amount, maybe a few months. So that's very helpful, Kevin. Brings up a couple other questions of interest. If you have a patient who doesn't have risk factors for diabetes and who has normal fasting glucose, is there any increased incidence of diabetes on a statin? The test for heterogeneity, which allows us to say that there's a difference in risk between two groups, is not significant. So we can say that it appears that most of the increase in risk is in those people who have diabetes risk factors. But because for those people who don't have diabetes risk factors, the confidence interval is very wide, it's impossible to rule out the possibility of an increase in risk in those people. But they're at low risk to begin with. And in the studies, Jupiter, as an example, there was no evidence of increased risk in people without risk factors for diabetes. And so, again, most of the risk seems to be in those people with one or more major risk factors for diabetes. And so those are the folks that I think should definitely be screened within one year of starting a statin 
in order to assess whether they've developed diabetes. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, and joining me today is Dr. Kevin Mackey. Kevin is a Ph.D. and the Chief Science Officer for the Midwest Center for Metabolic and Cardiovascular Research and Adjunct Faculty in Biostatistics and Applied Epidemiology at DePaul University in Chicago, Illinois. So, Kevin, are there any recommendations? If you have a patient who you really think ought to be on a statin and they've got metabolic syndrome, any thoughts about pushing them with lifestyle first? If you could get them to lose 7 or 10% of their weight and their fasting glucose came down, do you think that would reduce the risk of statin-induced diabetes, or is that unclear? We really do think that lifestyle has been shown to be effective. So loss of body weight, increased physical activity, and also a Mediterranean diet have been found in randomized clinical trials to lower the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. So the most important recommendations are lifestyle therapy is important not only for reducing risk of diabetes, but also for reducing risk of cardiovascular disease. So it's especially important in people with metabolic syndrome, prediabetes, overweight and obesity, because they have risk factors for diabetes I would not recommend delaying statin therapy, but instead intensifying lifestyle therapy. And if the person qualifies for statin therapy, um, that should be started and it should be emphasized along with lifestyle therapies. Yes, I'm not sure if everybody in the audience knows that the Diabetes Prevention Project showed that if you could lower your body weight by 7% or so and increase exercise, you could reduce your development of diabetes in patients with prediabetes by 58%, so almost 60% reduction in the risk of diabetes. Almost 60%, and that was nearly twice the 31% reduction observed with metformin. So, again, lifestyle is effective for preventing or delaying type 2 diabetes. The recommendations from the American Diabetes Association are 5 to 10% body weight loss and at least 150 minutes a week of moderate-intensity physical activity, such as walking. And people get discouraged because they know that willpower has a half-life of two weeks and it's soluble in alcohol, but I think <laughs> Uh, it's very important for us to really aggressively push people to, to modify their lifestyle in this subgroup of patients. Use dietitians and other people who are experts, what should one need and to use them? I really want to emphasize the importance of dietitians and other allied health professionals, such as exercise physiologists, in helping people design a diet and exercise program that they can adhere to and stick with for the long term. I know the whole document really is about statin safety in general. Your section was on diabetes. Would you like to comment on what else is in the document or in addition to that some particular things in your section that I didn't ask you about with regard to diabetes and statins? With regard to other elements of the document, there are several sections. There's a section on cognitive function. There are sections that relate to muscle symptoms associated with statin therapy. There is a section that defines statin intolerance, and so I think this is going to be a very useful document for clinicians who have to deal with these issues, in particular with the new recommendations from ACC, AHA, recommending statin use in a wider group of people. These statin safety issues take on even greater importance. Terrific. Well, I can't thank you enough. I'd like to remind the audience that this supplement is a supplement to the Journal of Clinical Lipidology. It can be downloaded from the National Lipid Association website at lipid.org. And also that joining the National Lipid Association is well worth the small fee required. And all of these documents will come to you if you do so. 
We'd encourage physicians of all specialties to join so they can keep up on the latest news in lipidology. Kevin, thank you so much for your insights and for taking some difficult questions, and I appreciate all the hard work you did on this subject. Well, thank you so much for having me as a guest. I appreciate the chance to get the information out to people who can use it. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown. You've been listening to Lipid Lumination, sponsored by the National Lipid Association on ReachMD. If you missed any part of this discussion, please visit us at reachmd.com lipids to download this podcast and others in this series. Once again, thank you all for listening.